Hey there, film buds. This is now part two of the Slasher episode. If you haven't already, go back and, and check out part one, but for a little recap, uh, in part one we we covered Halloween, Friday the 13th, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, and now we're moving into, those were like the, the late 70s and 80s, and now we're moving into the, the late 90s with uh, Scream and Candyman. Uh, the first Candyman you can actually go and listen to our, our previous review of. We won't really be talking about that one too much here. We're kind of actually going to start out with Candyman 2, uh, Farewell to the Flesh, and and pick up from there. Uh, so we hope that you enjoy this. We're joined during our Scream discussion by Sky uh, and Sky Tilly. And as always, we have a clip, so take a listen. Hello? Hello? Who is this? If you tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Well, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. Uh, the Scream franchise um began in 1996 with scream uh by wes craven and written by kevin williamson uh and the premise is a year after the murder of her mother a teenage girl is terrorized by a new killer who targets the girl and her friends by using horror films as part of a deadly game and the film stars nev campbell uh, as Sydney, our final girl, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Skeet Ulrich, Drew Barrymore, uh, and Roger Jackson as the infamous phone voice. We also have Dear Matthew Lillard. I forgot about Shaggy. It's because he was down low on the list. Uh, and Jamie Kennedy and Rose McGowan. Um, Jamie yep. Kennedy. Oh, oh, woof. Um, and I'll probably uh, introduce. Uh, I'll. I'll. I'll I'll cut this bit out. I'll probably introduce like um, the like the clip beforehand because we'll probably do like a little intro bit beforehand. Yeah. Um, but that's the main cast of Scream, and that's the premise of of Scream. And since we have a our de facto expert here with us, um, the man who wrote a whole paper on why Scream is the best horror film of all time <laughs> <laughs> my professor did not agree with me but yeah i mean <laughs> i stand by it i stand by it do you want to kick it off yeah so um you know it, you you said it it was 1996 i watched it when i was seven uh, so that tells you how old i was because i watched it when it came out um and you know growing up on horror films like the howling um the Halloween franchise, Nightmare on Elm Street films. I think Nightmare on Elm Street 1 was probably the first horror film I ever watched. Um, you know, so I was familiar with Wes Craven and like all these big uh, horror directors that I put on like the horror uh, Mount Rushmore of, of people. Um, and there was something about this movie, and I think it's just 90s teen horror in general that I just love so much. You know, films like The Faculty and and Scream and even 
urban legend. Um, there's just something about them that hits really well for me. And I think it really is just how campy they are and how self-aware. And for Scream, it really became like the first film to ever become self-aware. Like they made you aware that, oh, by the way, we know that we're a horror film. We're going to riff on all these other horror films, even the films that, you know, Wes Craven has made. Um, but I mean, you grow to really love these characters because they're all charming. They're all archetypes to an extent, but um, there's just something about them that you just want to spend 90 minutes with. And um, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I really do believe it's a perfect horror film. No, yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I ended up, I was like hanging around one night with my sister and, and I was like just looking at a list of um, like the greatest phone calls in movies. Mm -hmm. And it was the, the Drew Barrymore opening phone call. And we started watching the scene and we got like midway through it and we were like, we got to just watch the whole movie. Like we just got to go. And so we ended up going and renting it um, like digitally or finding it online or something. And we just started sitting down that night and we ended up watching Scream because that first scene is just one of the most gripping openings for a movie ever. Fantastically yeah. executed. Um, and yeah, you know, this movie is very much aware. Wes Craven um, has always been sort of self-referential. You know, when I went back and saw like Deadly Blessing, I saw where he like first toys around with the sort of, you know, something coming up in the water between the legs, you know, mm -hmm. sort of shot. So he's always been someone who's willing to go back and, and beg, borrow and steal from himself. Yeah. And so it, it's great that he sort of takes the whole genre that he obviously loves and has also helped shape and, and been like, you know, I helped make some of this genre. I can go in and kind of make this bigger, better, faster, stronger, leaner version of it. And it, it's lightning in a bottle because it's, it's excellently cast. You know, it, it came out at the right time. Um, no, I really enjoyed this movie quite a lot. Yeah, I think you're right, though. I mean, you know, that opening scene of Drew Barrymore, who you, you think, you know, even today, you would think, oh, my God, this, this is the leading lady right here. You know, this is the person we're going to be following. And yeah. to kill off your, your top build person so quickly within, like, what, 10 minutes, uh, it was very bold. But of course, it was also borrowed because we have seen that with like Psycho, right? Like they killed off the top billed actress. Um, and of course, the, the phone call itself was when a stranger calls, you know, so I mean, he's, he's definitely borrowing, but he's doing something that felt very fresh somehow. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because they're talking about horror films. What is your favorite horror film? And, you know, even the whole self-referencing, uh, uh, referencing of the Nightmare on Elm Street films, you know? Oh, I love the first one, but the rest sucked, is what she said. And, <laughs> you know, like, that is just very clever, you know, to make us feel like we're part of her, her life, you know, we're friends with her because we can agree. Like, yes, most of the rest of the Nightmare on Elm Street films were not great. Uh, so I think, you know, you're right. And it also sets the tone that this is going to be a comedy. And mm -hmm. then when the horror hits, you're like, oh, this is going to be very brutal and anyone is capable of dying in this movie don't get too attached to these characters because if we can kill drew barrymore in 10 minutes we can kill anybody yeah, oh, yeah. 
No, I really, I really had a blast watching this movie. I was, I was hooked on the franchise, honestly, from this moment on, and that's, that's how we ended up kind of binging the whole thing. We were just going to watch the, the firsts of all of these slasher movies, and then because of watching all of Scream, because of me, we then were like, well, I guess we should watch more of the other ones too. And then the whole rabbit hole got, you know, bigger and bigger around us but no i had a i had a blast with this movie i loved the the humor of it i i honestly i love the 90s feel of this movie it's great um it kept me guessing the entire time which is which is fun because a lot of these movies did not um and no it just in the the twist ending like had me i was like oh shit (laughs) <laughs> the whole time mm-hmm. which is which is great i love the fact that they talk about the movies because it really did feel kind of homey like these are your friends you know these are conversations that we talk like all the time you know yeah. him being like oh jamie lee you know watch out behind you and it's literally being mirrored in the in the frame i was just like oh this is perfect this is mm-hmm. perfect film <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and you know talking about the twist ending you know i mean it was the first time I think that there were two villains, like two killers on the loose. So that really threw a wrench into the whole formula. You know, there's not one killer, there's two. Oh, and guess what? It was people that you really cared about and you laughed with. Like everybody loves Matthew Lillard. Even before he was shaggy, people were like, Oh my God, this guy is so funny. He's so good. And to make him a killer was just brilliant. Yeah. I mean, honestly, they 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 Scooby Doo us in a in a real sense, you know, because mm-hmm. you kind of yeah. it's kind of like one of those old Scooby Doo uh, shows or something, you know. How are they doing all of this mysterious stuff? How are they? How how do we not know who it is? Well, it's because like in this case, it was two people. You were never yeah. expecting that, so that was always they always had a backup. They always had a cover. Perfect. Yep. Yeah, and uh, yeah. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead. I lost my train of thought. Um, (laughs) um, no, um, it's, it also does such a, such a great job of, of also once you find out who the killers are and you go back and you rewatch the movie, it, it becomes so obvious, you know, that, that, uh, that, 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 that was the answer the whole time, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas, and we'll, we'll talk more about it later when we get more into the sequels, which we'll probably just talk about like in a batch. Um, but like with the, the later ones, sometimes you don't get that same feeling of like, did it have to be you? (laughs) It feels like this, they wrote, especially I think with like, you know, early, early reaction, especially with Scream 2, I felt like they wrote that script with like, and the killer could be anyone (laughs) and that's how it feels the whole time but not in like the satisfying way of this one where like it it feels like it could be anyone but then you go back and you're like oh well it was destined to be Mm -hmm. these people you know yeah they've been hinting at it the entire time and we just Mm -hmm. didn't know because we were too busy going on the ride for the first time Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and now that you know who they are the fun i think now is going back and figuring out well who killed who yeah like who was who that's what i want to know and uh yeah i think that that's like that's the brilliance of it is you have that so much rewatchability because you can go back and analyze it and be like well that was probably that was probably billy maybe not i don't know maybe that one was Stu. who knows mm-hmm. yeah do they have like tells do they have different you know ways of, of doing it mm-hmm. 
Yeah, the only one that I think I know for sure is that Stu was in the bathroom with Sydney in the high school because Billy runs into her immediately afterward. And I'm like, yep, that's the only one I know. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to figure out their blocking through the whole movie right. down, you know? <laughs> Do they move differently? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or did they, did they specifically go and try and, like, you know, find just, like, a uniform way to move? No, yeah. Or are there times when they're both in the costume so that way when like one person is running one way, the other person is running the other way. And so like, you don't know which screen you're watching. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. Um, Great. Uh, and, and the voice is iconic. That's the other thing. Like the voice could have sounded stupid. Yeah. And the voice on the phone does absolutely nail it. He still nails it. Like yeah. he's still got the voice. It's crazy. And to think that he's Mojo Jojo from Powerpuff Girls is just insane to me, too. But, yeah. Oh, my gosh, I didn't know that. That's great. <laughs> Love that. Mm. Yeah. Everything's full circles, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, it's... If, if you had to... I think that, for me, Scream is that movie that, like, if you had to tell anyone to watch just one it would either be pretty much like halloween or it would be scream like if anyone was like i really just need to i'm only going to watch one slasher i would sit and i would think about it and i would be like it's it's a toss-up between halloween and scream for me so i mean i think that's that's fair i think halloween does a lot with very limited resources right like them, there's no blood in that movie it's it's crazy you know your mind just assumes that there's blood but Really, if I'm not mistaken, there really isn't any blood. Um, You know, and the script itself isn't that great because it didn't have to be. It did something, you know, it it just had a, it was a fun ride. And it still holds up today, but I think if you were going to introduce a a person to a horror film or even just suggest watching a horror film, you'd have to go more modern. And I think that's the, the thing with Scream is that it holds up today. I'm not saying that Halloween doesn't hold up today, but I think some audiences could be bored because they're like, oh, well, I've seen this before. Like, how many times is Michael Myers going to hide behind that bush? Yeah. You know? like, <laughs> how did he learn to drive? There's two <laughs> unanswered questions. And I think, you know, with Scream, it's just, you're going to enjoy it, even if you don't know these references and even if you don't know what this kind of computer is or a landline phone, you can still make those connections. Yeah. No, that's fair. And you can you can really put yourself in that in that situation regardless of of technological advances, you know, what what would it be like to to constantly be harassed by somebody on the phone, by somebody who's who who starts out in in one frame of mind and then turns on you out yeah. of nowhere, you know, and then it does get serious and then you do panic and what happens then? You know, right. it's great. It's a it's a great film, and like honestly, you could you could walk that line of him being too chatty, mm-hmm. but I think that he hits that that nice amount of like sweet and then sour, like like a perfectly timed every mm-hmm. every time. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I do want to talk real quick about like the how the decline of the horror genre was happening in the early to mid nineties. The yeah, horror genre, for the most part, was dead. It was gone because of sequels and sequels mm-hmm. and sequels. You know, how many more times do we need a Nightmare on Elm Street sequel? How many more times do we need a Friday the 13th sequel? We don't. 
we don't need them. So when films like um, Silence of the Lambs came out and uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, it kind of reinvigorated the horror genre, but it didn't really, you know, give you like that big lifeline, right? Like it was still like, oh, there's still some life here. And then when Scream came out, they were like, it's back. We are back online and we're, we're good to go. So I really believe that Scream is the reason that we still celebrate horror today, because if that movie hadn't have came out, we wouldn't have had all these other 90s films like Halloween H2O, which I adore. I think it's one of my favorite Halloween films and The Faculty with Robert Rodriguez, which also was a Kevin Williamson script. Kevin Williamson really brought life to this dying genre. And I truly believe that without Scream, we wouldn't be as where we are today without it. No, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Thank you for for bringing that little history lesson. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and I can definitely like having gone down, you know, the rabbit hole of all of these slasher films. It becomes <laughs> exhausting. Like it, it truly becomes at a certain point. Um, difficult who is going to theaters know? to see those movies anymore who was paying yeah. money to go see these these horror villains who weren't yeah, icons yeah. at the time they weren't they're icons no. now but they were just like oh it's another freddy movie mm. mm-hmm. okay yeah i mean i guess i have nothing else to do <laughs> <laughs> i guess i'll go watch these characters who i don't really care about die yeah these these characters that the movie clearly doesn't care about and doesn't really, I think, want me to care about either. Um, yeah. And that that's something that I talk about in, um, I've been working on that write-up about like Halloween Kills and people's response to it. And like one thing that I've definitely noticed and I noticed it and I, I make a note of it in Halloween Kills is that like this, or uh, uh, about like Halloween 2, is that the sequels start to become so much more about not like the the catharsis of survival but about the the sort of like you know sick enjoyment of the kills and also about expanding the mythos of like who the killer is or isn't and that really starts to bog down the films because they progressively become less horrific as like a result of that Yeah, I think, you know, adding on to that, when writers realize we can make our audience care about our characters before they die, that's going to be pretty powerful. <laughs> if we make these characters actually realized instead of just these hollow stand-ins who can be replaced by anybody, yeah, you know, I mean, like, I, that just transformed the horror genre. Yeah, and and for an example to the listeners, so Friday the 13th Part 2 comes out in 81, and then by the time you hit... And Friday the 13th 1 was in 80. Yeah. So they were pumping these things out like crazy. And so by the time that you then get to 1993 is when you're finally getting to uh, the ninth film in the franchise, (laughs) (laughs) Jason Goes to Hell. And so... You know, they were they were absolutely just going. There was a, a term that I discovered when I was looking at the history of um, Mexican cinema and that sort of thing at a time. And there were these films that they said kind of clogged up and helped lead to the downfall of the film industry. And they were referred to as churros. Disposable, fun, 
tasty, yeah. but like absolutely no health value, you know, and, and most of the horror sequels are like that. And so it makes sense that then something like Scream could come along and be like, well, what if I took like some of the best ideas that these things had? Because there mm-hmm. are some good ideas in these movies. Mm-hmm. And, and it's literally like, let me just take some of these best ideas and do something better with all of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. And to have mm-hmm. someone like Wes Craven do it, who was a part of this destruction of the mm-hmm. horror genre to come back and kind of save it, I think is just even more brilliant. And, and for him to acknowledge that it did happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's probably also what saved a lot of his legacy as well on a certain level. Yeah, you know, I mean, it really brought his career back on track because, I mean, mm-hmm. the last film that I think he did before this, and I could be wrong. Um, let's see. New Nightmare came out, was it a year before Scream? Was it 95 or 94? Um, I don't remember. New... 94. 94. Mm-hmm. So he was already kind of like starting on that track, right? Especially with like the uh, self-awareness. Um, and he was kind of discussing how in that movie, um, you know, the sequels weren't really that great and really only referencing the first film, you know? So it's very interesting, I think, when you have uh, a director do that. And I yeah. think he did it so well. No, yeah, he had done a movie called the Serpent and the Rainbow, a movie called Shocker, yep. The People Under the Stairs, then New Nightmare, then Vampire in Brooklyn. Yeah, starring Eddie Murphy. Oh, yeah, starring my, Eddie Murphy and yeah. Angela Bassett. Yeah. Wow, wow, mm-hmm. that is a look. It's what a wild like, movie. The, the, the hair. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> it is wild. <laughs> yeah, and so... You know, you thought the Jerry Curl's bad, ladies and gentlemen. Like, you want to talk about, honestly, I think that if Wes Craven had done another thing after after Vampire in Brooklyn that was another dud like that, he'd be in director's jail forever. Like, (laughs) he needed needed his out. He needed his chef. uh, He needed a hit, yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, you know, like, when you have, like, if you were to say the same thing about John Carpenter, for instance, you know, I mean, he was struggling. You know, he did... um, Escape from L.A., which was critically panned and audiences hated it. He did Vampires, which I love because I think it's a silly, fun ride with James Woods just going around staking vampires. I think it's hilarious. Don't know if it's meant to be a comedy, but I think it's funny. It's got James Woods in it. I think it is meant to be a comedy. Right. (laughs) 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 Um, And, you know, I mean, if you look at him, he really wasn't suffering nearly as bad. Uh, I don't know why. I can't really put a finger on it. And I guess it was because he um, he was doing less than I think Wes Craven. I think Wes Craven was just putting out so many movies and people just weren't watching them. You know, I remember people in the stairs, but I can't tell you anything about it, except that there were people under some stairs. <laughs> Maybe. Except for what the, <laughs> what the title promises. So we're Maybe. talking about the Harry Potter movies, right? Mm-hmm. Some people under some stairs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, I think that Scream is, is tremendous. And then I do, even though I think that the sequels have like diminishing returns to a certain degree, I do love that, that all three of the sequels were still directed by him. Because it was nice to see him take one of these genres 
and be the director that stuck with it for such a prolonged period. Cause you know, John Carpenter was like, and I'm out after the first one. Um, well, he did one and two, John Carpenter. He didn't direct two. He, he wrote, wrote it two. though. Yeah. With yeah. Deborah Hill. Uh, yeah. He, I think it was directed by Rick Rosenthal. Yep. Who also directed Halloween Resurrection. That makes sense. <laughs> that makes so, yeah, sense. Then, uh, he came back for both of the Halloween sequels on a certain level, you know. Um, I will never watch Halloween Resurrection again. It's I think forever you really marked. No. It's a lot never. of fun. Nope. Steer into the skid. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I, I love Buster Rhymes. Don't get me wrong, but if he's going to kill Michael Myers, I'm out. I'm out. I got to be gone. I have to take a step back. Uh, no, it was, it's something, but, um, no, I think, I think Scream is incredible. Um, and then we can talk about the sequel sort of in a, in a lump, but out of, out of five sky, what would you give Scream? Five. There we go. Dear? Five out of five. Yeah, it's a five for me. It's a, it's a perfect film. It's great. It's it's so much fun. This is a movie that I'm definitely going to just like go back to just whenever I fucking feel like it, honestly. Like, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, it's it's honestly timeless. It's you know, just as easy I, as that. And I love too the whole thing with you know if you ask a writer, why is your antagonist doing what they're doing? And I think it's Billy at the end. He's like you know they're always looking for a motive, but sometimes there doesn't have to be a motive. And clearly he has a motive, but Stu is more of like, I'm just here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just along for the ride. You know, I got yeah. my friend here. He's dragging me through this. Um, but for the most part, the reasoning for why they're doing what they're doing, for Billy to be affected so personally, you know, with his dad um, and then his mom, who we don't even see until the sequel, you know, that laid the groundwork for the sequels, mm-hmm. which I think is just is fascinating. And I don't even know if it was intended to be that way. I don't know if Kevin Williamson wrote this with the intent of, of writing sequels. I think he probably had an idea where he could go, um, but he left that little nugget there for Scream 2, which I think is really cool. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I was reading some interviews um, with some of the Scream cast uh, regarding like their return for this new Scream and why they came back for some of the other ones. And they were saying that, like, the studio was really wanting Scream 2, and they wanted it very, very quickly after the success of Scream 1. Within two years. And so it was a very pressurized thing, and he very much apparently felt under the gun. Mm. Um, And I feel like there's a sort of underlying assumption that, like, he's maybe not always thrilled with what the outcomes were. But apparently the reason that everyone kept coming back was also because of him. So, and because yeah. he kept coming back. <laughs> Kevin Williamson? Uh, him and, and Wes Craven both. I mean, how do you say no to Wes Craven? I can't imagine him saying, hey, I want you for this new movie I'm doing, and then saying no. I just couldn't imagine being in that position, you know? Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you have... Kevin Williamson's writing and Wes Craven, who is arguably at the peak of his career. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a great combination. 
Mm -hmm. um, so moving on to the, the sequels. So essentially the, the sequels are as follows in quick order. Scream 2 is Sidney Prescott goes to college, gets terrorized by Ghostface in college. Is it her boyfriend? Is it her friends? Who knows? Scream 3 is Sidney Prescott goes to L.A. to discover the truth of her mother uh, and discovers that there was a dark side to L.A. Um, that impacted her life directly that is also responsible for the killer's motivation. And then Scream 4 is Sidney Prescott is now a professional adult, uh, like self-help author who is now on a book tour kind of thing, um, who's using her, her trauma as like a story of, of survival and, and perseverance. Um, and she gets terrorized in her hometown once more. So all of the all of the films follow Sidney Prescott. They all have Wes Craven as the director. They all have uh, Nev Campbell, David Arquette, uh, Courtney Cox as like the principal three across all of them. Um, and we'll just sort of discuss them in a batch. Uh, what are what are your thoughts on the on the Scream sequels? Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you know they just diminishing results i think is what you used <laughs> yeah uh the second one i really enjoy i'm a big timothy oliphant fan so every time i go back and yeah. watch him I'm just like he's so good and everything uh and the clues that are there with with him uh in that movie if you go back and watch it he's always carrying around a video camera and he's always uh ghostface is always showing them footage of themselves walking around campus. And I'm like, oh, well, there's your big clue that he was this, you know, killer all along. Um, for me, it's it's the best sequel that they have in the series. Uh, it's very silly at times, uh, but to kill Randy the way that they did, yeah, you know, who, was, who was supposed to die in the first one, and then they saved him because of the audience reaction to it, uh, I thought was great. Um, and it also continued to show, by the way, we can kill anyone we want, mm -hmm. uh, even fan favorite characters like that. Um, it's definitely the best sequel. And then the third one, I remember I was watching it. I hadn't seen it in a while. And I was like, wow, they're really getting into the whole stab series. You know, they're really mm -hmm. getting super meta with this, but also in turn getting convoluted, you know, and I started to lose a little bit of interest. Um, and then the fourth one, I was watching it in theaters and I was like, don't know how this happened. Don't know how we got to where we are, but something happened. We took a detour and we ended up somewhere that I don't want to be. Uh, I need to go back and watch it again, but I just remember being very disappointed and very frustrated with Scream 4. I honestly can't tell you too much about Scream 4. Okay. Dear. <laughs> Gosh, okay, so I'm laughing because of the fact that that was, we, we, we like talked through them really quick this morning to like refresh for the, for, for the show, and I remember almost verbatim saying the exact same thing, being like, I don't remember Scream 4 at all. Like, <laughs> it doesn't leave an impression, it just, it didn't leave an impression for me. And all, I, and all I took away was the fact that like Emma Roberts is in it, and 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 that was also a disappointing thing for me as well. Like, 
And Anna Paquin is in it. Kristen Bell, I think. Yeah. Anna, you know. It has that, that it's got like the, the like triple blind or the double blind opening Scream 4 does where it starts out and it's like, you know, two people and one of them, you know, gets killed and then it's people watching the stab movies and then she turns and stabs the other one and it's Anna Paquin and Kristen Bell. And then we come out of it and it was teenagers watching a stab movie that was like commenting on it. It's like the whole. You saying it makes me remember that I checked out as soon as that <laughs> happened. You can't do that to me. It's like opening with a dream sequence. I'm out. I'm out. You can't do it. So that, that's how Scream 4 opens. Oh, buddy. <laughs> I remember I remember bits and parts of this movie and like with us talking through it helped me remember more but also like yeah I do remember kind of like checking out a little bit in this movie you know and that's unfortunate that's yeah it's really sad um I liked I guess the, the twist of it but I guess I really wanted them to kind of get away from the whole it's about Sydney Prescott thing by this point and they were like no double down it's another family member. <laughs> yeah, you the, know, and I think the surprise sibling wasn't enough. It's a cousin this time. Everybody's crazy. You know, it became something that Scream rebelled against, and that was, <laughs> you know, stagnant sequels, and it became that, which is very <laughs> awful in a sense because it is one of the more forgettable films. It was the more frustrating film, and it's the film that you get checked out which was what was happening in all the sequels from the 80s and the early 90s. It's wild. It is wild how broken the franchise became. Um, and I think the reason for it is how many times can you have Sidney Prescott live? Yeah. Why don't we just hit the reset button? We're on Scream 4. I don't but understand also, why these characters didn't die. She doesn't get, like, any more advanced as a character. Like, if this kept happening to me, you better believe that I would have, like, learned a, a martial art by this point. I would be, like, the gun master, you yeah. know? Yeah. I, she, just, she just falls into accidents again. And I'm like, damn it, Sydney. Yeah. <laughs> how do you keep, how are your wits not better by now? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think you're right, is, you know, you got, if you're going to have a character like Sydney Prescott be your protagonist, and she's going to continue on this arc. She stopped. She stopped. She hasn't been growing anymore. She's yeah, just the yeah. same character. And that's a problem. So I yeah, think you're right. You look at like whenever they have brought back Laurie Strode, whether it be like age 20, where they bring her back later, you know, she's, she's changed her name. She has tried starting her life over. She has a son. You know, she, she has a drinking problem. Like, there's there's some interesting things going on. And same with Halloween 2018. You know, we advance it forward, and she's now this, like, you know, ultimate survivor kook who yeah. goes out and constantly, just for for her own need, does target practice and checks all the traps and makes sure that everything is all prepped for, you know, what yep. she considers the inevitable return. And still has a drinking problem. Yeah, and so, and has this anxiety issue and is agoraphobic. And so, like, they always, whenever they bring back Lori, they always use it to be impactful. Yeah. 
my dog has a squeak toy. So if you hear squeaking, <laughs> she just um, got up and has taken a squeak toy. <laughs> gotcha. um, so the, the Scream sequels, I, I really enjoy all of them for different reasons. I actually don't think that I dislike any Scream sequel as much as I dislike some of the like Nightmare on Elm Street, oh, Halloween, Friday the 13th. Oh. Every Scream sequel is still better than yes. the worst of any of those. So at least it has that going for it. <laughs> I will watch Scream 4 400 times before I watch Freddy is Dead or Freddy's Dead ever again. Yeah. No, yeah, that's fair. Um, that's that's a pretty unwatchable one of, of, the, of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Um, I really enjoy Scream 2 a lot. I think that it does... Some really great things. I feel like it almost picked on a certain level the least interesting options of who the killers could be. Which one? Um, Scream 2. Oh. Um, she and I were talking, because her thought the entire time that we were watching Scream 2 was like, it's these weird sorority girls. And I was like, oh, that would have been so good. Like the whole time <laughs> I was watching it, I was like, it's Billy and the other guy, or Billy's mom and the other guy. And I was like, and it works and it's good. But like, now that you say it, damn it, I do kind of wish it was the weird sorority girls. They are here all of the time. And they um, are weirdly <laughs> passive-aggressive the entire time, and maybe you're killing people for the story. <laughs> Who knows? But not this story. And so, <laughs> you know, and, and that's the other issue is I think that even more than... In that first movie, there were people that you knew were not the killer, but there were some people that were presented that were like, maybe... Whereas yeah. I think with Scream 2, they constantly are like, it's maybe these people. And I feel like they never really, until they get killed off, viably remove any options. They just kind of leave a lot of doors open, like constantly. Well, um, I agree to an extent, right? I mm -hmm. think um, the whole idea for Scream 2 is to make it so that anyone is a suspect. They keep saying yeah. it. You know, Dewey says it so much to Randy. Like, anyone's a suspect. Oh, well, you're a suspect. And it does a great job at making you think, like, did their trauma from surviving this past event cause them to go crazy and, you know, repeat and become a serial killer? Yeah, so I thought yeah. that that was great. I think, you know, Timothy Oliphant's reveal as being this uh, killer, I thought was very weird. I still think it's kind of weird uh, how he got hooked up with Billy Loomis's mom. Uh, so her, she works perfectly. She works, yeah. Even yeah. if we, you know, we see her randomly throughout the movie. But I think you're right. I think we needed someone, I don't know if the sorority sisters would have been my pick, but I can see that argument um, because there's just not a lot of screen presence for them. You know, I really do wish that they would have just said, yes, some people process trauma very positively but some of them process it very negatively. And here's this survivor who did succumb to this trauma and became the thing that they were fighting in the first film. So looking back in retrospect, I think it would have been interesting, more interesting to have a survivor from the first film kind of go rogue and, and be a killer. And it would make sense for it, honestly, to be Randy. Like of all the, all the survivors, I think Randy would be the most logical one of them. Yeah. And poor Randy was just trying to get a girlfriend in this entire movie. Like, that was, yeah, that was his main goal. It was like, he was gonna get lead this time. Yeah. <laughs> um, Scream 3, I like, and going back and rewatching it, I was like, it's really interesting how open. It's my this second movie. favorite opening of the Scream series. I didn't mean to cut yeah. you off, but I wanted oh, to no, talk you're about fine. that. 
Um, I really enjoyed the, well, not enjoyed, but I found it interesting how open it is about like sexual violence as being, you know, something that happened in the Hollywood industry, you know, rampantly for years. And I thought that it was interesting how that film like had it very openly out there, like, you know, all the way back in. And wasn't it a wine street production? Uh, yeah, I yeah. think so. <laughs> so it feels yeah. pretty, it feels pretty pointed. Um, hmm? It's self-aware. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're just going to write this character in here called Harvey. You cool? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I think that it's, I think that that was the thing that I find the most interesting about that. Also, I think that on a certain level, Wes Craven, even himself was like, man, I don't know how to make this one really scary anymore. Let's make it goofy. And, and on a certain First level, it's, Bob. <laughs> it's almost, it's almost a scary movie, like in the Scream franchise, but I love it. I think it's weird, but I really enjoy it. Um, they actually... immediately lose the horror after yeah. Lou Schreiber's character is killed. Like as soon mm. as that opening scene is done, it becomes this weird, like, movie that doesn't know what it wants to be it's a it's an identity crisis of a film because you have uh sydney prescott's mom uh maureen prescott she's like walking around and she's like all zombified up and everything like that i remember being creeped out as a kid watching this because i'm just like oh she's creepy looking but then like you know looking back on it i'm like man that makes no sense this movie makes no sense it is wild (laughs) <laughs> and then it just goes it goes off the rails bananas once they really start getting into the stab uh series and how sydney and all the real life actor the real life people are interacting with the actors of themselves and yeah it just it's a wild movie yeah it's pretty it's pretty out there it's it's fun but it's not necessarily good yeah it's interesting it's fun. Um, I think it's a great I, word. I will say that I quite enjoyed it as an actor. These like weird like actors like trying to absorb as much character as they could from the real person. I was like, this really happens, and it's really weird. I'm glad we're talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't um, seen it in a while, so I would love to go back and rewatch that one. I always watch one and two, mm-hmm. and I always skip three and four just because I'm like, eh. You should hit them up again. Uh, maybe I don't know. I still haven't watched Dune. Like I just I don't have a lot of time. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we haven't watched it either yet. So. But that's because we've been committed to. has other things in it to watch. <laughs> you guys have been watching the trashiest of the trash, and I'm yeah. here for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, honestly, I'm I'm odd man out here. I actually quite enjoy Scream Four a lot. Mm. Um, I really liked it. So we watched, Matt and I watched like Scream 1, Scream 2, Scream 3, and then we ended up seeing Scream 4 in theaters. Um, and I really dug it. Um, I thought that it was scarier again than, than the first, or than the, than the third one. You know, I thought that we finally got at least a little bit more intense again. Um, and I don't know, for me, it just, it landed. I, I enjoyed the sort of reboot cool thing that they did. And I was also good with the idea of that one, like being the last one also. 
I was like, if this is how it ends, then like, you know what, I'm, I'm good with this. This would be a fine place for it to stop. I'm, I'm excited for the upcoming one, but um, it, it definitely, I think, is, is trying to, I think the thing that makes Scream 4 a little bit less interesting than some of the other ones i will say this is probably the fact that like it doesn't seem quite as aware it pulls back on like some of the ways that it's aware other than that opening and the mention of the stab sequels they don't really talk about like the reboot era really like i think as cleverly as they do in the other films yeah they talk about it but then they end up really just like sticking themselves right into those tropes exactly as well and I think that it does hamper it a little bit. Right. But I like well, Scream 4. It was 10 years, right? It took 10 years for Scream 4 to come out after Scream 3, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, so it's 2000 and then 2011. Yeah, so now we have uh, 11 years later, Scream 5, which I think is just kind of interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. It'll be 26 years, I think, since Scream 1. Um, new director. Uh, Radio Silence is doing it, which I'm very excited about because they make really good content. Um, and I want to know real fast too. You know, we don't know how this is going to go. How would you guys want Scream Five to go? You know, like if you had to just give me a quick little pitch off the top of your head on what you would do with Scream Five from the opening. I want to know your opening, and then I just want to know kind of like your overarching idea for Scream 5? What would it be? I'm putting you guys on the spot here. I'm hijacking your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think for me, I think you have to find a way to kill off some sort of legacy baby in the opening. I think that that's one of the things that you almost kind of have to do. You know, we're introducing a new fresh cast, obviously. Um, but I think that if, if we're going back and, and doing this kind of almost like a Halloween 2018 kind of thing, then I want to go in and I want to I want to kill off a legacy baby, I think, kind of in the opening. And, and that's also my kind of Drew Barrymore moment. Then I think... Um, I have one of my survivors be the killer is my big overarching thing. Um, so you would do like I would do for two, but save mm-hmm. it to, for five. Yeah. yeah. And I would make it Dewey. Mm-hmm. And since he lost the limp in four, but has it, you know, back in the new one, I would make it that like his return of the limp is like an intentional fake out. And that he actually is moving fine. Interesting. And, and I would I would have like some of these things like be false leads, and I would make Dewey one of my main antagonists. I don't know who the second one would be. Probably one of the new cast members, or mm-hmm. the surprise reveal if I wanted to. And this would maybe irritate some people. I would try and bring someone back from the dead, if I could. Maybe Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> like they had a fake out death mm-hmm. previously because you know mm-hmm. sequels do that yeah but i think that it would definitely be it would definitely be dewey and then it would be someone else honestly probably just a new character 
Um, and I think that I would definitely kill Sidney Prescott. Yeah, to kind of like really pass off the mantle to whomever they're going to like, you know, the new it girl would be. I hope that this is just kind of like that we don't continue on to like scream pin at this mm -hmm. rate. But, you know, kind of kind of end the end it with with the death of our, our main girl, the one that we followed this entire time mm -hmm. would be interesting, I think, because also she's, you know, the the the, the it girl has to be of, like, I guess, like a certain age range. And like she's had her her whole run and it's kind of like, yeah, passing off of the mantle. You yep. know? Um, I'm, I guess I'm kind of hoping like for, for a few of the, the same things that I guess you are as well, but like I'm hoping that the, that they, they commit more fully, I guess, to this whole pass off of the, the whole thing instead of it being like, you know, how in the fourth one it's the, you know, it's it's the cousin. She wants to be the mm -hmm. the ingenue. She wants to be the lead girl. Um, so she's making all of the things for herself. Like I wanted to 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 fully commit to it not being really related to Sydney at all. Honestly, I've got a, another option for you. Uh, oh, okay. Um, yeah. uh, this one just sort of cropped into my head. You turn it into a sort of group psychosis thing where it's like this this like social media kind of like a TikTok trend almost thing. Where you end up having like a slew of ghost face at the end, and they're using and, like apps or mm -hmm. something to communicate and stuff, and do the voice be, and all of that. Yeah, and modern. Mm -hmm. it's all a game. It's 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 how they do in one of the Halloweens, where it's all just like a game show. Yeah, kind of like that. Kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm checked out. I'm checked out. <laughs> and here's your killer, T Pain. T Pain's gonna kill Ghostface. <laughs> and so it's like you know maybe it's like. Like by the end of the movie, there are like you know like twenty people, who are all ghost face. Yeah, and they they wanted to create like the the perfect ending it was like it was all of us the whole time. Mm -hmm. Bum bum bum. <laughs> and they and they all all twenty of them live stream like a like a Caesar stabbing. I mean, of I like, Sydney Prescott. I like what they're doing. I guess so far with it, I'll be curious to see what the what the whole thing ends up being. I enjoyed the, the trailer with the whole like nod to the original, but also modernizing it with like adding technology into it to to make you know make the scary more more here and now again. Um, so I'm curious though to see like where they where they take it from there. Honestly, yeah, because yeah. you know. The, the 2018 Halloween definitely works as both a complete end point story, but also as a point to start the story anew. Um, and I think that they're probably aiming for that with this, which is why I think that they, they abandoned the number, is because I think that there is this kind of idea that, that it's meant to be either or. Yeah. Um, so I'll be curious, but those, those are my two pitches. Do you have any? Have Do you any have ideas? anything? So I would love for the film to open. And it, the thing is, is I think as a writer, you have to be aware that you can piss off your audience. You have, there's a line that you can't really cross, right? But there has to be stakes. So I do agree that one character has to die, right? One legacy character, I think you just have to do that. But I would do two. Okay. I would open with Dewey and um, Gale. And maybe even a third character that we've never really seen before, and they get killed. 
Ghostface kills them both in the opening scene. And then you take away everyone who uh, Sydney Prescott has, you know, her safety net is gone. And it's her and maybe a police investigator who goes to her and is like, you're, you're aware that you're probably next, right? Like they've, you're the only one left from the 96 murders and the Woodsboro murders. Uh, and then it's almost kind of like a protecting, but also trying to figure an investigation and maybe do it a little bit like seven David Fincher's seven with scream where there's just a slew of murders that are like connected in some way to Sidney Prescott and then end with Sidney Prescott dying. Cause I think that she has to die going forward. If you are introducing a new cast of characters, then you're right. She has to die. And that's passing off the mantle to whoever it is that she's involved herself with in this film. And you end it with like ambiguous. Okay. Now these people are a target. So kind of like taking the, the final destination Two formula where they killed off our Ali Larder, you know, at the very end of that movie and doing that to Sydney Prescott. I think that's just the only way forward at this point. It's the fifth film. Like no, you, literally. you have to do something drastic and yeah. you, you ease the audience into it with the opening scene. And then by the end, they've accepted, okay, I know what we're doing. I know where we're going. Yeah. But also, That's like, what I, I would guess do. This movie, like if it's going to be a screen movie also still has to be commentary on the, on the genre as a whole. And so you still have to, yeah, follow these, these reboot tropes in a sort in a sense, you know, you gotta, you do have to kill off a good amount of, of my old, my old blood, you right. know, that's yeah. because that's what happens. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's I agree. It's the tropes. I mean, it's 26 years. You've done a great job at surviving. The past always mm-hmm. comes back to get you. Yeah. And I think that's just a great way to end it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, but I am I'm excited. Like, I'm super excited for Scream. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, no, it looks it looks great. I'm I'm super pumped. Did you uh, did you watch the the TV show? A little bit of it. I watched like three or four episodes. I watched like the entire first season, and then I didn't see the second season. And I was like, maybe I'll get back into it before the third season comes out. And then I found out that the third season was like a whole reboot of the show where they were getting away from this new mythos and mask that they set up and going back to like a ghost face mask. And I was like, I don't want ghost face directly the TV show. Like that's not, <laughs> right. that's not what I'm here for either. I was more interested in the other thing that you were doing. So I never saw the ghost face mask in the show. I only saw the, the new face that they did. Yeah. Season three, they eventually like reintroduce the full on ghost face mask and like they get rid of the entire season one and two story and cast, I believe, and just like restart. Sucks to suck. (laughs) Yeah. So, (laughs) like, did you think that 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 was going to work for you, you know, in the actual practice? Like, you had fans, you built them up with all of this stuff, and regardless of the people who were complaining, you had already started something. You can't just throw that away and be like, just kidding, guys, we're going to do this whole different thing with the same title, because now you're going to lose all the fans that you had who liked your previous thing. So what what was the plan here? I'm going to take a shot real fast at Paul and say Halloween Kills did that. 
But that's all I'm gonna. <laughs> that's my that's my quick jab right there. <laughs> uh, um, but no, and like I, I will say this randomly, uh, you know, on a certain level, I think that you can get away with like doing changes and things like that. But I think that you have to build it in and 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 sell your audience on it. And so like watching a lot of these franchises and things like that, like Friday the 13th is a, is a build your own canon yeah. franchise. Like you can pick the three to four films from that franchise that you want and ignore the rest. And that's acceptable. Exactly um, what I, I do. <laughs> that's what you should do or else you're going to go crazy. Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street does like a, like a, um, there are some that are in a canon, but some that aren't so much. So, like, you can kind of, like, follow a direct story. Or, again, you can just kind of, like, watch the first one and then leave. Yeah. And Halloween, on a certain level, I think especially because they, they broke the mold with Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, have always had this kind of almost anthology take, even though it didn't work out, I think, the way that they originally intended it to. Right. Where, you know, people are constantly coming in and reinventing it. Yeah, Michael's motivated by an astrological sign. <laughs> and he has a tattoo. An evil one. <laughs> and he has a tattoo. Yeah. And there's a cult. Yeah. And and, and there's and a curse that binds <laughs> someone to him as like his watcher caretaker person. My favorite is the fact that they, they, they try so hard to make all of that shit relevant for mm -hmm. so yep. long, and then they just go, we can't do it anymore, guys. Let's just start over mm -hmm. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like they, they try so hard, where it's like, you know, especially Jason, they just go, yeah. whatever, man. <laughs> you get whatever flavor you want today, guys. My favorite introduction uh, for a character uh, quirk for Jason is when they made him afraid of water in Jason takes Manhattan. Loved yeah. that. Makes no sense whatsoever. He was in water in the movie. <laughs> <He's>, <laughs> but when he sees running water, he freaks out. Yeah. It's wild. Oh my God. Um, and he teleports in that movie and it's great. Love it. I basically just love when they just turn him into a zombie. Yeah. yeah. They say fuck it to everything else. And they say, he's just, he's just the undead. Okay. But yeah, yeah for um, if people want more Scream films, then it definitely is going to have to go through some genesis. I even though I love Laurie Strode and 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 Jamie Lee Curtis, and they have made her returns to the character work, I'm not sure that I want to watch Nev Campbell become 80, making Scream 15. Or um, <laughs> <laughs> or we do no. Um, so Walker, I definitely, I'm, interested. I'm game for the new movie. I'm curious to see what they do. Um, it's, just a, it's just a farce at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it's revealed in Scream 10 that she was the killer in the 10th film I, and she's 80, I would be happy. I would mm -hmm. be so sold. <laughs> we actually go back and reveal that she was the killer in all of them all along in Scream yeah. 10. Mm -hmm. What a twist. Mm -hmm. Palpatine has returned. That's right. <laughs> oh yeah, that happened. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> um, 
out of out of all of the sky mentioned it earlier uh that scream 3 was his favorite opening what's your favorite cold opening from from scream other than the first one because that's obviously the best one (laughs) yeah um okay can we let's see so the second one is jada pinkett in the movie theater yes the third one is leave schreiber in traffic and his wife at home yes and the fourth one is the stab movie that's the stab movie that's, that's them watching that in real life. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I really like the the opener with, with Jada Pickett and with um oh gosh, with Omar Epps. Mm-hmm. And and it gets me and it and I think that that's the reason why I really like it is because it, it does. It gets me every single time where I'm like, you know, you're walking along the story. And I was like, they're not going to do the same thing twice. They're not going to kill Drew, Drew Barrymore twice for me. It's going to be fine. They're going to do something different here. And then they not only kill Jada, but they also kill Omar. And, and I fell right into the trap and I hated it. and I loved it. And I think that that's probably why it's my favorite. Yeah. I honestly love just the... I think Jada Pinkett knows the exact right place of like horror movie camp realism to live in Mm -hmm. during the scene where like when she screams out in pain in front of the crowd, it's both very effective, but also just that little bit funny. Oh yeah. And I love how (laughs) sick and twisted it is Mm -hmm. and the fact that like they're all cheering it on the whole time. Yeah. It's what's good wild. Stuff. What's 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 wild about that too is that you know she was coming off of uh, Demon Knight, Tales from the Crypt movie from '95, where she survives like so much, and you really do you get the fake out with Omar Epps getting killed in the bathroom, and you're like, okay, it's probably We're done. done. Yeah. She's gonna leave the theater, you know? She's gonna think that he left her or something. I don't know, but no, they kept going. And they're like, yeah, not just yeah. one person's gonna die here. We're gonna kill both people. And I think that they do such a good job because also with the stab movie coming out, there's so many people in the same costume. You don't know who the killer is going to be because there's so many suspects. Yeah. And, you know, and that's also why they end up thinking that it's a part of the show. Yeah. Uh, uh, so yeah. Good. <laughs> and you can see that happening today, like with Rocky Horror Picture Show exactly. uh, performances, you know, you get really into it, especially with costumes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love the moment in the bathroom when like he goes in and like the two on the the urinals like turn simultaneously. Like it's so perfect. Isn't I love that it. your first clue too that there's yeah. two killers? Um, they're dun, dun. both in there. Ah, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all there, and that's what makes these these movies I think really great. Is you can go back and you can find all these hints, you know, that there are two killers or there is one killer or whatever. You know, like you can really go back and there are clues that you can pick up little breadcrumbs. No, yeah. yeah. They're like, they're, they're, they've, they've figured out the whole thing before they've even started. And you can tell, you yeah. know, whereas like a lot of these other franchises, you can tell that they didn't do that. And they're just guessing with literal pages in the script. Like it's, and now we're at this point and it doesn't feel connected at all where these just feel so comfortable because they are so just, beginning to end one whole story i can watch it and feel satisfied at the end instead of going yeah. what the hell what the hell happened here yeah so, uh, if you had to rank them you know all all four of the scream films how would you rank them one mm-hmm. two three 
Four. <laughs> Actually, one, two, three, five, four. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about Dear. you? What about you two? Um, I'm, I think I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to second that. I think that. I think that they are just kind of like lesser and lesser with each go around. Like I still enjoy them, but like mm -hmm. I think that the first one is is solid. The second one is like just under, and like the other two are just like fucking trying to catch up. <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave me behind. No, literally. Um, <laughs> I think I'll go one, two, four, three. Okay. Ghost Mom really pulls me out of three so much. But you don't like the fact that she went on onto onto killers.com <laughs> No, 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 Craigslist. no, no. The Ghost Mom in the third one. Oh, oh, right. Yes. <laughs> uh, Ghost Ghost Mama Prescott really pulls me out every time. And and, and honestly, I also I, I really hate that it was just the one killer at the end, you know. I know that that's like Who's her brother? Right? Yeah. yeah. Her, her surprise brother, because her mom had a kid when she was out in L.A. trying to be an actor, and he felt discarded, and so he came back, and then he's the one that helped arrange for Billy Loomis to realize that Sidney was having sex with Loomis's dad, which led to Loomis killing the mom and going on his whole murder spree. So they also go back and like do this whole reveal that like her brother was also the cause of the first movie. But like, let's not talk about the fact that that took a lot of work on his part to become like a famous fucking director and shit and do all of this. He's on like, he's, he's like <laughs> movies actively. And this is all just a plot to kill his sister? Mm hmm Okay. So that's probably my ranking for them. Uh, <laughs> If I and could I, remember four, I may agree with you. <laughs> but I just don't remember. <laughs> also, I do want to point out real fast, too, the importance of names. And I think, you know, having a character's last name be Loomis, when we have the most iconic doctor in a film series, Dr. Loomis, I think is a very good nod to the genre itself in the slasher films. Oh, yeah. Very aware. I love it. Um... No, I think that I think that this was a, a great discussion. Um, thank you for for coming on and, and talking about it. I'm sorry that your your professor didn't agree with your opinion because honestly, it's it's a fantastic film. For twelve pages on one movie, and he's like, nah, I don't, I don't really care. But he's an American <laughs> history scholar. He's an American history of film scholar, so I understand. You know, no, yeah. But for me, I think it is arguable that it may not be the best horror movie, but I think it is the best thriller. Yeah. Mm. I think I can successfully say that. Um, we'll see. I don't know. He may not agree with that. Dale, if you're listening, please let me know your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> you can email us at the film buds. Uh, no, I'm only kidding. Uh, but no, yeah. Uh, thank you for, for coming on as, as always. Um, the the weekly pop-up there uh the podcast that sky is affiliated with and i'll i'll link that as i always do in, in the episode description Candyman, flesh and blood.
I'm afraid not. But he lives in the mirror. You say his name five times, he's supposed to come. That's how he gets you. You guys don't really believe that, do you? So that was Candyman, Farewell to the Flesh. <laughs> such a such an erotic title. The premise is the Candyman arrives in New Orleans and sets his sights on a young woman whose family was ruined by the immortal killer years before. Uh, it was directed by Bill Condon. It was written by uh, Rand Ravitch and mark kruger and it stars tony todd as the Candyman, uh kelly rowan carolyn barclay um david giannapolis um and dear do you want to start or, or or do you want me to start honestly can you take this one away okay um the the Candyman. So the first Candyman for for a recap is essentially the reveal that there was this man who was um, in a relationship with a white woman, and he was tortured and murdered because of that. He had his hand cut off and replaced with a hook, and he was stung to death. And at uh, you know in in the first one, it's this woman Helen Lyle who who ends up getting caught up in the whole thing, and she ends up becoming Candyman, right? She kind of ends up going through this this downward spiral into crime where then she becomes an urban legend, just like all of the other crime that comes out of the projects, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one, they change locations entirely, and this one is definitely on a lot of levels about essentially, like, coming to terms with, like, your family's racial identity and, um, and, like, on a certain level, reparations of a kind. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's revealed that, that there are descendants of this, of Candyman and, and of the woman that he was in a relationship with, and, um, the mother tried to hide it while the father tried to to sort of figure out more about it and also break the curse of the candy man um and it's it's really good like it's a it's a good sequel as far as especially you know the the horror sequels go it does the the classic thing of trying to deepen the killer's mythos mm-hmm. you know and and it's definitely the first movie is such a slow burn that you know part of the way into it you almost do wonder if there really is like a mister like a, a mystical killer um whereas this one like you definitely jump into it pretty quickly Candyman makes his presence known very early by killing a character from the previous film mm-hmm. um and i like this one a lot like it's a it's a good sequel no, yeah, um, I'd agree with that. I just, I think it's so weird, I guess, the, the weird choice that this franchise decided to take was was focusing on, on their descendants, but it always, always it being just another white woman with blonde hair. And I find that that was really, really fascinating because of the fact that they're not even that far away from, from his genetics. And I know that, like, genes can, like, work in mysterious ways, but, like, there you're telling me that nobody knew after that point? They were like, let's just put it hush-hush. Well, you know, she, like, ran away and, like, was never seen again. Well, yeah, but, like, 
So she's telling the child that she had with a black man that that child has no black ancestry. And they just continued that that lie through the ages. I guess. And that also, to be fair, this this movie does also make the classic sequel issue of like deepening the mythos, but not really like checking to see how well this new understanding fits in with the information we have. Kind of like the same issue of of Halloween 2 revealing that Laurie Strode is Michael's sister. Yeah. You know, like, cool. And, you know, like, yeah. it, it doesn't, and it also doesn't really fit in because it was like, why, how, you know, it's very convenient. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, it is really convenient, I guess, that, like, they are related. I wish it was kind of like that, you know, anyone can call on, on Candyman. He's kind of like, you know, Bloody Mary. It's a, it's a, story that children tell and like it doesn't really necessarily need to be related to him in any way shape or form for it to be be meaningful but this the, it definitely takes the trope of like and it's because we're related that i'm also haunting you and yeah. and that's that's the main crux of the whole thing but you know all of all of that aside i do i do really enjoy this movie i do think that it is a really good sequel to the original candy man i just i kind of just want the whole franchise and in general to have gone in a different direction but like they stuck with this and like they they do stick you know yeah um you know i think that the performances here are as good as they were in the last one mm -hmm. you know the the first one was not necessarily one where i was really drawn in by although honestly virginia madsen you know what the first one dil does still probably have technically slightly better performances but i think that as far as horror sequels go the performances here are pretty good mm -hmm. the lead uh woman kelly rowan does a does a good job i think with the part especially compared to like the woman in the third one. Oh yeah no um, the the model that they yeah that they gave lines to um it's i think the thing that is very interesting about the Candyman franchise more so than some of the others is how how much they're trying to make social commentary very overtly a part of their text. And mm -hmm. some movies in the franchises do that more than others. But like every Candyman movie is reaching for some sort of, especially, you know, race-related... Um, subtext and i think that it uh, going to your point you now about it being like the 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 blonde women you know i i think that you can definitely see moments throughout the the first three films where they're going and using these blonde women as a way to specifically highlight some sort of you know journey into this world that like the white audience might not realize and understand no yeah and we were talking about this earlier today i really feel like as a as as a black woman i i don't i guess look at this franchise and go oh this was a this was a message that was for me to learn no this is this is a message about the lineage that we all kind of carry on our backs that is being shoved in a completely different demographics face and being like will you pay attention please mm -hmm. and like like i really enjoy the fact that we have a black slasher but i i also don't enjoy the fact that like it's not celebrating blackness mm -hmm. as like a good thing it's almost like a Look at what you've made blackness become. Hmm. Interesting. That's very interesting. Well, and also, they do with... Usually whenever Tony Todd does show up, 
they don't use him i think as 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 effectively as they could he's doing so much with the part oh yeah he's doing a phenomenal he's job screen, he's great but it's like i wish that i had gotten more of you throughout the movie and like even in the second one you get more of him than you did in the first one but i found his screen time more effective in the first one mm-hmm. than it was in some of the subsequent sequels yeah, because it is still like it is about these these final women at the end of the day. And whereas like for the other slashers, I always felt like they were the reason why I was coming to watch the movie. Like I watch Halloween for Michael Myers, you know, and Laurie Strode, but it's not just about her. And I feel like with Candyman, I'm always getting Candyman as like a reactionary thing to somebody else, mm-hmm. somebody else's story. No, I get that. Um, and it's a great example, by the way, of, like, what I'm talking about when I say, like, they put white people through, like, you know, experiences that they might not be familiar with, you know. There's a moment in Candyman, um, Farewell to the Flesh, where the main woman's brother is also obsessed with, with this whole thing, and he's been blamed for his father's murder, and he's in there with an officer who's roughing him up, and the officer gets killed by Candyman and chucked out of a window to where everyone knows that there's, like, something that's happened. And cops rush up to the interview room, the interrogation room, to react. And when they open up the door, the guy, the brother, goes running out. And the cop is like, freeze! And he says it once, and then he shoots him, like, three times in the back. And he falls down the stairs. And so I think that they're intentionally going out of their way to across the entire franchise put white people in these kind of positions where they're they're at the the helplessness of the law um on a certain level and i think that that is also one of the more interesting things that this franchise does Mm -hmm. um i don't know how rewatchable um some of the sequels are you know i'm not sure that like Candyman 2 is one that you really like go back to a lot i'll probably go back to Candyman 1 and maybe even the 2021 Candyman more often, I think, than I will probably Farewell to the Flesh and definitely Day of the Dead. Yeah, no, um, I'll, I'll second that for sure. Day of the Dead is where, is where we, we strained out a lot of the substance of what the first one had and then just like caught on to all of the things that made it a cliche slasher movie and was like so we'll just put a really hot chick in the lead and that'll be all that she needs to do is just be really hot and then we'll throw Candyman in here and he'll just like sex up the scenes every time he comes in and, and that's it and we're gonna set it in like a hispanic neighborhood in la uh and our what, what was really great for me about day of the dead actually hold on before i get too down this rabbit hole out of five real quickly on farewell to the flesh um i'm gonna go with like a three i think that that's fair i think that i'll second that yeah okay um so in day of the dead they set it in a hispanic neighborhood in la and they have all this day of the dead stuff and then that kind of thing um which is fine, but what I, I really enjoyed was that, um, one, our lead character didn't speak any kind of, of Spanish at all. Two, um, we didn't really have, like, a, a strong, I guess, like, Hispanic secondary character at any point in it. I guess it was supposed to be the guy. 
that yes it's the guy the actor oh um, yeah but yeah what yeah. i really enjoyed the most about this movie was watching it with subtitles on because when characters actually were like speaking spanish it just said like speaking spanish but then someone would be like ah you know this is my abuela hola abuela and like that would be you know in subtitles or certain simple sentences you know like como estas would be like in subtitles but i really enjoyed that the moment that like anyone really started like saying lines in spanish the subtitles were just like and tapping out it's it's words in spanish <laughs> no literally it felt like um you know like your first year your first semester of spanish one in high school where you well you only know like hello and goodbye and then it was like and it got way too complicated here we're done we're mm-hmm. done speaking in spanish all of this bit and that movie also more than any of the other ones is very ham-fisted it's very graceless and it's really just showing that these atrocities happen it doesn't have anything going on anything deeper really to say it's just like and here's the horrible racist cop who at the end ends up like becoming Candyman. but also i think they should have taken that bite earlier in the movie by a lot no yeah um i think that i think that this movie just did kind of kind of the formula again but like Mm. instead of it being like the black neighborhood the black hood you know it, it was the hispanic neighborhood it was the spanic hood and like that's that's pretty much all that changed about it and the the formula was just the same after that you know people were still being haunted by Candyman, and i do agree i do think that they should have just made the the racist cop you know into their Candyman-esque figure instead of instead of doing the same thing that the first one did which was like maybe it's the chick the whole time like he come on like they they were like cops are bad people with this guy alone and goodness gracious i don't know how he truly had a job yeah and 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 you know they finally have him literally show up at the crime scene with probably under 10 minutes left of the of the third act of the whole movie and he shows up picks up the hook and goes i'm the candy man now and then he gets shot by by the black cop from behind and they're just like all right uh we're gonna pin it all on him and and the chick is like he was the candy man you know because it's she wants to attach the candy man legacy onto something more evil um yeah because she is also a descendant to also of the... now get rid of the the full legacy of the original candy man yeah um i just I don't know what it's the okay. I don't know what they were trying to what they were reaching for with this one. Cops are bad. Yeah, and they nailed it. Well, and and they also do this thing of like, oh, to to get rid of his legacy, they they do this thing of like Candyman has now become too evil of a legacy that like you can't even remember his good things. And maybe that's kind of what they're aiming for is like om- almost like a romanticizing of the past. Like here's this woman who has this relative that people claim is responsible for all of this killing but she wants to be like no he was just a painter and she has to kind of like own up to and destroy the memory of like even what was good about him Mm. to reconcile interesting i think that if she were a better actor i might have gotten half of and maybe i'm just reaching deeper in than what the movie intended 
I think that this movie was really ambitious. I think that it <laughs> really missed it, though, like, on, on every level. Well, I'll say this, though. I still find Day of the Dead, I think, better than, like, some of the other films that we watched as well. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, if we're gonna weigh Day of the Dead, then against a, uh, against multiple Friday the 13th movies, I prefer it. I This movie is is watchable. Um, I just mean, as, <laughs> as it stands on its own, it is a mess. Yeah. Um, and then there's one more sequel, which is, of course, the sort of reboot cool thing that we've been going through, you know, Halloween, uh, Scream, Candyman, where we go back and kind of pick up the story and retcon out things. And this is more a story about kind of, honestly, at a certain level, this is really a story about reclaiming black narratives at large, because also this is the first Candyman movie to make the lead characters black. Black. And so really, on a certain level, this whole movie just at large is about sort of, I think, a certain amount of reclaiming of black narratives and also about um, using some of those narratives that other people use as urban legends or as tales of, of tragedy and woe, but nothing more as as something that's meant to ultimately systemically or uh, not systemically but ultimately turn around and attack the system that attacked it mm -hmm. and i think that it's a pretty good sequel i still don't think that i like it as much as the first one no i think that the first one is where they they really they really hit the stride and um i do like the sequel um a lot i mean not the sequel i guess the reboot cool is what, <laughs> what i'll call it um i do like the the reboot more um than I like, you know, Day of the Dead, mm -hmm. but, um, I, I do think that it, it, it does take the, the narrative kind of back in and, and reclaim it, because there is this part at the end where it, it reminded me a lot of, um, the, the Black Lives Matters movement that was happening, um, I guess, you know, a year ago now, a year and a half ago now, um, that was that was all about like you know say their names you know speak their names and and when one of the characters at the end is like you know they've they've all become the candy man but like we have to remember you know each of their legacies kind of is basically you know a rough overview of of his of his monologue yeah because essentially like people don't know people don't recognize how far back the tragedies go they just go back to whoever that person was to them mm -hmm. you know so it's it's about realizing that you know emmett till and you know george floyd and all of these figures that we talk about as like specific incidences are all part of one greater narrative that is still at play yeah and i think that that's i think that you know, if that's the thesis statement of this movie, then I think that they nailed it. Um, but I think that... I, I think that... Um, I think that that message gets bogged down by a lot of, like, visual flair and, like, modern niceties that we can do. Mm -hmm. And... 
I think that I would want more of of what the the message truly was because like from this from surface level it feels like just watching this man kind of like slowly dissolve into into what fate has has told him he was going to already be and it's 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 kind of a bummer. Mm. You know? Mm. That's interesting. Cuz like I guess for me it feels like Especially you know since he is kind of like a legacy baby. Yeah, exactly. You know, the system put this stamp on him as a black man that he was going to he was going to get shot by the cops because he was going to do something wrong because of all of these things and like it kind of literally falls into that spot, you know. He ends up getting accused of all of these things whether or not like he is he is the person who who did them or not, you know. At the when he gets when well, spoilers when he gets shot at the end he is he is bleeding out already in 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 his girlfriend's arms and he's completely you know in without fault at that moment and so like it feels very much like a it was always going to be like this because it has always been like this and it kind of bummed me out a little bit well and and honestly on a certain level that was that was all by you know burke's very much intentional design you know at the end of the day burke really is the bad guy of the movie Mm -hmm. um on a certain level he is the candy man he is the one that even at the very end is seen visually with the candy with the razors in it Mm -hmm. um and he's he's almost a frankenstein making a a frankenstein's monster a very intentional purpose no he's almost um honestly as we were sitting here talking about he's almost kind of like dr sartain Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He's this guy who has this desire to to use this narrative that is other people's narrative to their own ends for what they want from these narratives. Mm -hmm. And so they manipulate things and go and ultimately create the monster that they were looking for. No, yeah, for different ends and purposes and themes and motifs, but similar ideas of people weaponizing you know myth yeah and i guess um i don't know maybe 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 this movie deserves deserves a rewatch for me um after after the first watch though i i felt a little little on the on the fence of of what they were truly intending for this movie to tell me versus what it actually told me that's fair and i've been kind of like mentally picking at it because mm-hmm. I've been, it's it's definitely been one that I've been thinking about more than some of the other sequels that we've watched, and it's definitely one that I'm I'm more curious. And you know, for for those who want to know, we ranked these as well, and we went the first Candyman, Candyman twenty one, the reboot quill, Farewell to the Flesh, Candyman two, and then uh, Day of the Dead, Candyman three, uh, in fourth. And so I think that this one is one that I do want to revisit for sure. Mm-hmm. Because, like, also, this movie did have some pretty bitchin' visuals. I really loved the the whole, like, he can only be seen through the mirrors. I think they really leaned into I all of the things. I wish we had shown that it was more people beforehand. I wish yes. that when more people had seen Candyman to also kind of earlier on hint at this idea that Candyman is more than one thing. Yes, I do. I do agree with that. Um, but I did really enjoy this kind of like mirror, mm-hmm. like because that's how you call him, and none of the other movies really focus on the mirror being like, like almost like his realm of existence. Um, and I really, yeah. I really liked that. I thought that that was a really cool, cool play on it. And 
honestly i liked the 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 lean into the the whole like candy and the razor blades and the candy motif in this one specifically not just the fact that he was had bees but the fact that the the whole thing can be kind of almost like whatever and whomever you want it to be at a certain point he's the candy man he's the person that your parents tell you don't talk to Mm -hmm. you know no for sure um Overall, I think if I had to rank all of the the slasher franchises, I would go Halloween, Scream, Candyman. Uh, no, Halloween, Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, Candyman, Friday the 13th. Yeah, no, I think that that's, I think that that's fair. Um, Maybe I, I'd switch them a little bit, I don't know. For me, Nightmare and Candyman are kind of a tie. Yeah, um, I'd, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna second that as well, I'd, I'd say, because at the end of the day, I think that, um, I think that Freddy is, is always, for the most part, like, the star, you know, mm-hmm. he's the thing that's keeping people up at night, and I think that Candyman is, is a little bit more vague of who, it's who would wants to, who we should be focused on, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and no, I, I I agree. Okay. Um, honestly, I think that that's kind of gonna be where where we call it for for this episode, since it's already been been split up in two. Uh, if you again came through and listened to part two first, please go back and listen to part one. Uh, we wanted to do this for y'all as a big celebration of Halloween. Halloween is our favorite holiday. It is also this Halloween, our one-year wedding anniversary. We got married Halloween 2020. Um, So it's a big holiday for us, and so we'll always do it up special. We may not quite do it up this big next year. Uh, This was ambitious. Or if we do it this big, I'll plan better. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But we wanted to give y'all something really big and really special as as a big final hoorah for this month. Um, and for a genre and time of year that we love and for a holiday that means the world to us. So, um, honestly, from the bottom of both our hearts, we wish y'all a very happy Halloween. Yes, happy Halloween. Stay safe. Eat lots of candy, if that's your thing. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't want to, that's also fine. We're going to out, go out and be camping. Yeah. And celebrating some time away from screens. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> uh, yeah. 40 you movies. Guys, yeah. <laughs> you guys have a good one. Like like Lauren said, stay safe and be sure to check in with us next week. Um, I'll drop everyone's socials down below. You know, follow us, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, again, I'll have all those those details in the in the description below. Have a good weekend, you guys. We'll talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye.